Welcome to Arts Talk TV, connecting you to the world that is art. Hi, I'm Karina Lawrence and welcome to Arts Talk TV. We're here at Stage Door Academy, which is in Upper Coomera on Queensland's Gold Coast. Now my next guests are a duo and definitely sisters doing it for themselves. They have had an incredible career in performance and modelling that has taken them all over the world. Please welcome to the show, Marissa Burgess, Karina Burgess and Karina's daughter, Savannah. Hi guys, welcome Hello. to the show. Hi. Thank you for joining us. The thing that really connects all of you guys is you're really Australia's leading showgirls, correct? <laughs> you say so. One question I did have is you guys have performed at the Lido and Marissa, you were Moulin Rouge over in Paris. That's right. So why, was, it, was that anything in particular? I think you can probably tell by the height. Right, yeah, so there that, is the height requirement That, that was the, the first thing Lido. that separated everyone. I was one of the shortest girls in really? the small group in Paris, five foot eight and a half, so. Savannah. I'm one of the taller ones. Yeah. Yeah. Really? She's more the average height. And yeah. how long have you been doing the contract over there, Savannah? Just over two years. So what age were you when you moved away from home? I was 18. So how old were you guys when you I was 17. 17. Wow. And what was that like moving across the world at such a young age? It wasn't that dramatic, I don't think. I was that was my second contract. Mm -hmm. I'd already done a full year. <laughs> really? Overseas? <laughs> no, in Australia. Oh, okay. And, uh, I had travelled to see Karina when I was a little girl, so when I was 14. So I already knew what to expect. Well, I had no idea, really. <laughs> what I was getting myself yeah. into. But uh, with the Bluebell girls, Miss Bluebell always looked after them very well. So they made sure someone picked you up at the airport, she put you straight into accommodation. The Bluebell girls were created by Margaret Kelly, who uh, she was working at the Follies Bergere and they wanted to have something a little bit different and so she noticed these beautiful tall models walking into a cafe and that's where she got the idea I'm going to get really tall girls you know that can dance and that they're well trained in ballet and that's how she started off with the Bluebell Girls. And so your experience when you travelled over there was interesting by the sounds well, of things. Well I, I basically worked very hard at ballet to, to get a position like that so I got there and I thought well I'm just going to do what my ballet teacher told me and do the best I can. What was it like for the two of you sisters growing up in showbiz together? We did all the dancing at Steadfords and concerts. It wasn't just a hobby for us, it was a means to an end. Then when Karina went and definitely paved the way because she had to do all the hard yards and figure it all out then I came along pretty easily. I'd already um, made sure I knew French so I could speak quite well. You have to pay your bills and, and be an adult and, and grow up very fast. And Karina was modeling extensively by that time and she was dragging me around to castings and pushing me indoors and saying, do this. And, do, do you and think that was went, yeah. like, uh, that helped kind of no, set you good, up as well? Great, it was a good opportunity? Know, definitely. And then, and then we, we both had that scene. That's the only time we actually worked together was as models right. on completely separate yeah. jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Touching on the basis, obviously having the two sisters there while you were in, um, in Paris together. Savannah, do you feel that, uh, what, what led you to want to follow in the footsteps, so to speak, to your, your mom and, and your aunt? Is it in the blood? Like, do you feel? It sure is. <laughs> it sure is. I wanted to follow in their footsteps, but also to achieve a level of success 
because I had two very successful <laughs> people to look role up models, to, yeah. role models. And then uh, the year after I finished school, we, my mother and I, we went over to Europe and I auditioned at the Lido and that was it. Do you feel that um, the fact that your mum had that connection to Lido, did that offer any different opportunities for you or you still had to go through the same format as anybody else? The same format as everybody else. Uh, there was nothing special about yeah. me particularly, although my family was in show business, but that's not the reason why yeah. I got in. It was very daunting for me, to be honest, and hard at points because, you know, I didn't know if it was I was capable enough to achieve that level yeah. of success as they did, mm -hmm. and that really scared me. So when I went over there, I was just head down, doing the best that I could, and hoping that I would, you know, Succeed, succeed. In yeah, that. you come over as a young as a young woman, but you evolve into a, of you know, um, a bluebell girl or yeah, you know, the more you're an you, and, and your own um, entertainer. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So you've all had extensive work in modelling. Give us a little bit more insight in comparison from being dancers, because I know the industries they're all connected, but there's subtle differences. I always liken being a showgirl to being a ballerina slash model anyway because a lot of the times you are presenting incredible costumes and walking and as much as you dance a lot and you need to be a full ballerina to do so, it's the ballet that gives you the poise to be able to um, carry those costumes elegantly and easily. One of my very first jobs was modelling, was the biggest fashion event ever held and there were um, about 900 models. It happened on one day and we walked from the Trocadero all the way across an elevated podium over the fountains and we walked to the Eiffel Tower with one dress. In Paris when I fell into modelling for the high fashion, it was, there were long hours. It was seven in the morning until five in the afternoon, just being on call as a house model. Beautiful models helped me, you know, how to put things on, take them off how to walk. It's not the same as dancing. Dancing is a lot more physical, whereas modelling I felt like it was a lot more hanging around, wearing fantastic costumes, but there's only that certain time that you're actually on the stage per se as to, you know, dancing at night, so. Do you bring the characterisation into when you're modelling or is it just not, more about awareness of shapes? Not in my time because for the hawker tour particularly the, the girls you had no expression but then that, that changed with the supermodels that came in they completely changed that and then they were out there and they were their personality so you know the top models that I worked with they were just the cameramen were just screaming their names as they were walking walk down the catwalk ah. and you know, so they did have, I guess, a bit of attitude without giving too much. It's all yeah. about the clothes. I did showroom modelling in Paris. I did two seasons with a designer and his name is Said Kobersi. They were just like princess dresses. They were so oh, beautiful. It's not on a stage, right? It's on the floor level as well, right? Yes, it's in a hotel suite. And is the show, like, is that done for um, potential buyers yes, to right. stock into their stores? That's exactly right, that's yes. I was with two other girls from Moulin Rouge and they liked having us there because we were efficient and we knew how to pose and show the dress in a specific way and things it's like that. It's that sense of professionalism, I think. That's right. That mm. is, is it's more than what's required for modelling, let's put it that yes. way. Karina and I have seen models pose consistently for hours and hours and hours mm. and just never let the ball drop. It's incredible. Um, that's a different mm. discipline again. Mm. Okay, so just going through some of your credits, Marissa, um, 
You've done fashion shows and campaigns in, in Paris, France. Um, magazines you featured for Women's Day, Elle France, Vogue Italy, Marie Claire, Women's Weekly, New Idea, and, and a lot of um, coffee table artistry shoots. Mm. And you featured with Naomi Campbell. Well, the, a lot of the times photographers are absolutely intoxicated by the, the showgirl theme. But um, when you do a, a fashion editorial, for example, it's great to bring one you know, supermodel like Naomi Campbell and Tatiana Patitz. They came in with uh, her Brits, who her Brits did the photography for Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson. Um, Tina Turner and he did those beautiful sepia video clips that were in, in vogue in those days. So there was a lot of um, fashion shoots that we would partake in. There were a lot of shoots about us that we were featured. There were a lot of shoots just artsy things. Black and White magazine was a beautiful art magazine featuring a lot of nudity and that was very beautifully done. And then you have your documentaries that come in and want the behind the scenes action and that sort of mystical, you know, what the artist is going through moment and the capturing of all that. So there's a lot of, a lot of photography. And what about potential people that, you know, might, some of our viewers that might be interested in stepping into the modeling side of things, um, what advice would you give them based on your experience? I can give it just a, my very first experience. I went along to the place that I ended up working for and the lady said walk and she said some girls have it and some girls don't and you don't have it, thank you very much, goodbye. And I was like, oh okay, because I, <laughs> I hadn't even learned how to walk or anything. And uh, you know, I was like, can I try again? You know, I was very kind of yeah. brave actually when yeah. I think back. And so kind of a month later, the uh, designer flew in from Japan and uh, her, her personal assistant wanted to see me and come in to meet the designer. And I hadn't done anything about it because I believed what that lady had told me that I was never going to make it and I didn't have what it took and all of that. And I went back the next day, then they put the clothes on and the hat and the shoes in the bag. And you were like, I, I show you, like, I can okay. walk. And that lady, I was sitting, standing behind uh, the, the designer and so I just thought, I'm going to show you. <laughs> so, I, so I did my walk and she's going, oh mon dieu, you know, one month ago I told her she couldn't do it. Now I told her to go to modelling school and now she can walk. And so when she signed me up then for the contract, she was telling um, Mary Martine, the other uh, lady, the model that I'd be working for, and I, can, I said, can you stop telling people that please? Because you told me I wouldn't be able to be a model. And you said that I couldn't afford to go to the modeling school. I had to stick up for myself, I felt so I did. Yeah, <laughs> and then she signed me up with, you know, gritted teeth and, and uh, she kept stabbing me in the back a little bit all the time, but I kept just going, I'll do my job. and. With beautiful grace, you. no doubt, I so imagine. So it was hard, but yeah. Yeah, I think um, for young ones, I think you don't listen to that negative. And you can go over and over it in your head and it might not actually be true. My advice for people who want to get into the industry is working hard, ballet training, essential, and not shying away from auditions. You know, when people are scared or something, they go to the back of the audition. So I'd say go to the front and be that person in the front, in be front seen. of the judge and say, this is me, I'm here to show you what I can do. Yeah. And not to be afraid of that, to ask questions in auditions as well, because that shows the judges and people who are there that you want to get it right, you want to perfect it. When you do work hard and you do become a good dancer, other girls don't like that. So when you go into a show or something and you try your best, you know, you only want to try your best, Sometimes you can get some problems. 
don't take that to heart because I did, personally I did, and that's not fair. And so now I stand up for myself and it's taken me two years to stand up for myself and you've got to earn your respect. You know, everybody has to earn respect in the company too and if you're a hard worker then you just naturally do earn respect anyway. You just got to research what's out there, the shows, and see what you want to do. For example, online, Lido, they have emails online. Moulin Rouge, there are emails online. Cruise ships, there are emails online. Um, Berlin, you know, Europe, there are emails everywhere. So you just got to go out and go, you know, shows in Europe. But if you don't know, and look it up and just look for the emails and send your good, the best showreel that you have, your CV, and good pictures of you. Um, and that's basically how you can put yourself out there more. Let's just touch base on some of your credits, Karina. It's Karina School of Dance, so you've had that for about 27 years. 27 years, years yes. Wow. Yes. One of my best friends uh, started it up in Beachmont. When she left the casino show, she was uh, going to work in Korea. And so I said, oh, well, I'll take it over and, and uh, keep that going for you. So that's how I kind of fell into that. With regards to your hair and fashion modelling, you've done TV commercials in Hong Kong, France, Australia, for companies and brands such as Preta Porta, David Jones, Max Factor. I was a Glamish handbag girl too, actually. Really? Yeah, that was she an was interesting a one. handbag girl. You know how big that was in the day? <laughs> it was huge in the 80s. She had oh the double gosh. page in the woman's... I'll tell your story. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't double remember. page in the woman's weekly. You can tell a lot about Karina Burgess from Karina Burgess's Glamish handbag. Yeah, once Lunch. again it was through Bluebell and it was through the Australian Embassy actually um, and they said um, we'd like to audition the girls and Miss Bluebell said no, you'll have Karina or you have no one. I know there's training in how to learn how to move and do that type of stuff but did it people guide you or you just had Always. to, so you were guided the most at the shoots. thing that I'd like to share as well is that being um, in the haute couture and going straight in kind of at the top level. Everybody was really nice, everybody was really helpful, the models I'm talking about, and, uh, and they, were, they were really lovely people. So they weren't catty or nasty, they were just there, they were doing their job, they were very busy. They did all the, the houses, you know, during the Pret-a-Porte and the, the haute couture, the spring, summer, autumn, winter. So they took time out because I was young and they showed me, how, showed me the ropes and they were very kind. When you come into anything like that, don't forget, you're always practicing PR for yourself, your brand, you're your own brand. So Karina walks in, she's representing Karina. Savannah walks in, she's representing Savannah. So as soon as you come in, everyone's on their best foot forward, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't know if that person that you meet, whether it be the model or the dresser or the photographer or whoever, you don't know if any of those people are gonna get you your next job. It works like that, and so if that's a privileged position, then that's what it is. Reputation. So yeah, so you have to be on the ball, and um, and yeah, everyone's delightful and lovely, and and you're working hard, and you know, and in, in the breaks, you take one another's hands and you go around with your little comp card and go and hand it out to whoever's there. Basically, getting getting that foot into the modelling, um, I was number one a dancer. That was my number one priority. The modelling was an extra thing on the side, just for fun and for a bit of extra money, and you know, to wear wonderful clothes. But uh, like Marisa said, you know, you get one job, and then the next year they ask you back, but you get another job, and then they ask you back. So you have to learn on the job about you know when you don't have an agent. Yeah. You you do have to be a businesswoman as well. Yeah. And you have to make sure that you get your money and negotiate before you do it. 
because there's no contracts either sometimes. Mm. You know, well, there wasn't then. as, yeah, so, now everything's contracted. Like. So I only got burnt once out of eight and a half years and I was so cranky for three days I couldn't sleep and I blamed myself because I hadn't negotiated correctly beforehand. I don't like to boast, but I am going to. <laughs> but Johnny Depp came to watch the Lido. Even though, you know, you can get to such a level up there, an A-lister celebrity, he was still very humble and, you know, wanted to give me good advice and told me some of his stories that he experienced through the industry. And, you know, I, I just looked at somebody like him and people who are not like him, who are, you know, maybe working in a similar show as you or something like that, they think they're the top stuff and they think I'm better than everybody else and then I meet an A-lister celebrity and he's not like that and I go wow I want to aspire to be like that too even if I do succeed to stay humble to remain friendly to everybody to not walk around like you own the place or something like that and, mm -hmm. and that's what we found too you know the people at the top like the model yeah I was saying that yeah. very nice and kind and humble and telling him I do this every night two times a night and he was like and he said to me, I couldn't do the same thing every single night, you know, and, and I said, yeah, it's hard, but, you know, it's yeah. our job to make it interesting yeah. every night and to do the best we can yeah. and, and perfect. My, and my sister was at the Moulin Rouge a very long time. How many yeah. years were you there doing the same show? So 17 night? years, and I did the one show for 12 years, so about 7,600 times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's that discipline that just keeps you going. That just brings a whole other level to five, six, seven, eight, doesn't it? <laughs> and for us, it was Gene Kelly. We stopped the show for Gene Kelly. Oh my lord! And then we met him afterwards, and he was like, "They were saying exactly the same, just like one humble, of us. Yeah. beautiful yeah, the, people." Yeah, the bigger the star, the more humble. Yeah. Was Manelli couldn't be more gracious. She complimented each and every person. You know how she's like, "You're all wonderful, just wonderful, you're wonderful." You know. <laughs> so you guys have also been involved with the casino shows here on the Gold Coast and um, Cairns and Marissa, you've done a lot of, because um, you're a singer as well, produced a lot of your own events. Tell us about like, how that story opened up. In, in Paris, uh, we didn't sing live, we lip sync. I don't know if a lot of people realise that. We had three singers, so it was just not at all practical to have that type of thing on a, on a roster and rotating days off when you're doing that many shows. Um, every week. I trained for seven years um, with a lyrical opera teacher and through Karina's friends, once again connection, so Karina's best friend got me that connection. It's very difficult to get into singing lessons in Paris, it's expensive and you have to know the right people. So that helped me get my first job as a singer which was Jupiter's Casino. Now start. I came away from the Moulin Rouge, left everything I knew, uh, jumped in the deep end with the singing contract, um, Board Productions invited me out and uh, that's how I started singing. So that led on to uh, other productions, being the singer of other productions and having left the Moulin Rouge I didn't realise just how many producers wanted to work with me so it was really nice because there was a sort of close succession of, of lots of different productions behind that. And invariably you make your own show as well. So I took my own show on to the cruise ships and did a bit of that. And then I got invited back to Europe to do uh, production and to do choreography and, and present dances because they'd never had dances in a Spiegel tent before. 
and they thought, well, who better to do that for the very first time but me. So I got that connection as well. But I um, also set up what is now permanently about 15 dancer positions, permanent positions that uh, people can audition for that were not previously there. I know, Marissa, you've raised the point of there's so much incredible talent here in Australia, mm -hmm. and yet doesn't seem to have the same opportunities. It's nuts. Why do we have dance schools and why do we Everywhere. teach everyone dance? Boys do football, girls do dancing, that's just how it is here. So you can't tell me that there's not people out there that don't love and adore show business and shows and performance and costumes and everything and production mm. and everything goes with it because not to mention the money they invest as exactly. well they and invest. then where does it go like so it fizzles into the air and it goes all overseas money is made overseas it's spent overseas mm. it's, it's it's doesn't make any sense to me as much as we all love going overseas it's a shame to think that just because it's your job because it's not just a vocation it's a job um, and I just feel like a lot of people see it as some kind of fun thing you do when you're young. It's not. We only do it when we're young. It's because it's the nature of the job that makes you do it when you're young and then after your body starts to hurt, you have to stop. Otherwise, we'd keep doing it. Yeah. Just on the Gold Coast alone, there's possibly, or in the southeast Queensland, there's possibly, I'm going to say 20, maybe 30 people from Paris. Yes. There's people from Cirque du Soleil come home. There's people from big ballet companies all over Europe. All the cruise home. ships. All the cruise ships, mm -hmm. don't hundreds and hundreds. Mm -hmm. And that's just in southeast Queensland. Mm -hmm. Now take that to Sydney, take that to <laughs> Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. Everyone's home. And Why we're hungry, is all that hungry. gone in the first place? Hungry Why to get back up on stage. And in the 60s, sorry to interrupt, but in the 60s I've spoken to a lot of people, you know, when they came to Australia from all over the world, top acts, they would come and they would do all of the, the clubs. Yeah. There was a big scene in the clubs and they'd go right around Australia. It used yes. to be a population issue, okay, we've got a small population. Um, Business-wise it's difficult to put out a big show uh, and have it amortised in a short frame of time. So why can't the Gold Coast have an international attraction on par with the things that go on in Vegas? Why, why not? Why can't people, people will travel to Australia quite readily now. In the days, tourism to Australia was quite low. Now, tourism is right up there. Okay, they don't come to see shows necessarily. They come to see the Outback or they come to see Sydney. They come to see iconic Australian things. But why not have a show that they can see and, and showcase Australia and Australia's dancers um, and international act qualities as well. You know, everyone's here training to the eyeballs and then they take all their talent, including all the actors, and they leave. When can we do it more? You know, I mean, once again, the population is a restricting thing here in Australia. So that's why we tour, we go to, us, we go to New Zealand as well, and we do all of Australia. Um, but for my part, I mean, I've done this stuff to death, right? I don't need to be going on stage anymore. It's fine. Uh, I do it because suddenly there's an opportunity opens up for all this employment. And of course, I like to get dressed up sometimes too. <laughs> but sudden, suddenly all these girls get this work and it's good work um, in all the beautiful theatres that we go into. And, and it's continual. So well, yes, it's, it's not every day. It's industry but because it's, you know, it's enhancing, creative directors in lighting, sound, 
dance, choreography, mm. costuming. Um, so it's a, it's a domino effect. It's a ricochet of creating um, yeah. more work, more opportunities, more culture. Yeah, um, so and, and also more culture, as you say, more culture in the sense that it's suddenly broadening the spectrum of what people can go and see because it got a little bit in a rut there, you know, it was your festivals and your burlesque and then your ballet and then your, um, and your theatre and your musical theatre. And then it, it sort of started to really contract in on itself, whereas those were the only things that worked. So my, my reckoning is to sort of make it pack out and bring more things in. Yes, Bangara and things like this, very eclectic and original mm. work. Mm -hmm. um, tap dogs. Tap dogs. You know, tap dogs was there. So the culture, needs to be expanding all the time, not restricting. Mm. Uh, and Did you so, feel there was restrictions in regards to working with um, the show that you were producing with Michael Boyd? Like, were there any specific restrictions? Like, People were a bit thrown. They didn't quite know what the show was. We had mm. to um, just rely a little bit on faith at times. Mm. We took the show to QPAC uh, to the opera section of QPAC, so you've got your lyrical theatre and you've got your playhouse and so we went into the the opera room, which was the only room we could hire at the time, and we had to sort of decorate it a bit because it's a bit bland, right? It's just it's a bit like any opera house. So we had to put all those drapes in and turn it into a nice warm red cabaret. And at some point, um, they just didn't really realise what was going on with their opera house, that we were going to come in there and do a beautiful showgirl show. Um, but yeah, but we, we just maintain that if you come to see the show, you're going to see what we do. We're not going to try and make it an adaptation for your set of tastes. Yes. We're going to do what we do. Really? If you want to come along and see it, you may or may not like it but at least you've seen it in its authenticity. And its class and its elegance. Yes. yes. And, yeah, like and you can go about your way and say, mm. okay, well, I've seen mm. a showgirl show, I don't need to see that ever again, or <laughs> had no idea these were so great. Well, it's ultimately how art should be represented, is that Absolutely. there's no right or wrong. It's, just, it's, it's, it's art. Yeah, exactly. Marisa, you've had the experience appearing on shows such as on The Morning Show with Kerry Ann Kennelly, A Current Affair, 60 Minutes, Entertainment Tonight in the USA. Tell us a little bit more about those experiences and, and maybe, you know, on each of them, what was specific about you featuring on those shows? It's, a, it's an interesting thing when you come to be in a, sh in a big review show like this, the television comes out, they, they film it a lot. So um, it's not necessarily my thing. Uh, and once again, you get a bit of an, an opportunity, a great opportunity, once again, being in there to taste different things. And being dragged along to TV studios, I decided that along the way, I did so much television. In France, though, you did them in French I too. did them in French, I did them in Italian, and I did them in English. I, I came to the conclusion that I didn't really like television. You know, I like the, the live performance. So it's something that you discover about yourself in doing those things. That made me realise that I probably wouldn't be interested in acting either. Uh, and the, the more I go, the more I realise I really just like to come back to the stage. This is where I feel good. We have a lovely little formula here on Arts Talk TV. 
where right at the end of our interviews we, we do a little segment called the Shutter Speed Challenge. So are you guys up for that? Yes, yeah. let's, okay. let's yeah. do it. What is it? <laughs> All right, so it's just um, answering as whatever comes to your mind. Let's go. Yeah, you ready? Yes. Uh, five, six, seven, eight, as they say. Last song you listened to, Marissa. See, I'm not very good at this. Sav. I, it was, it was Love Shack. Okay, cool. Yep. Karina. This is a bit embarrassing, but I actually can't remember the name of the song, but it was just something on Facebook about someone's partner's limbs falling off, but I, I can't remember the name of the song. Okay. Bad. What does creativity mean to you? What does creativity mean to me? It means listening to the little voice inside your head and your heart and letting it come out in a physical form. Your own touch, basically, and um, on art and your own kind of what you can bring to the table. It's everything for me. If I don't create once a day, I go crazy. So I just go and put some pretty flowers <laughs> over there or do a little painting or think about putting on a show and how I do it. Creativity is everything for me. Yeah, love it. Uh, person you most like to meet? Marilyn Monroe. Oh, me. Well, I think I met him, Johnny Depp. <laughs> Good. Gene Kelly and I met him too. Wow. <laughs> what question would you ask them? How are you going? <laughs> How are you feeling? Are you are you okay? Are you doing okay? Oh, what question did you ask? <laughs> we had so many questions to ask people like like him, but uh, I, I guess I would just say, well, are you are you happy? Are you still happy? Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Last piece of art that really affected you. Um, my friend's mother uh, has just started painting for herself as well. And yeah, her aunt, Alita Nags. There you go. Me, it's uh, her name is Caroline Hook, and she, her girls went to my mum's dance school. And I went over to her house, and she made these beautiful artworks on the wall, and they're just amazing. And she did all of them. She has many, many. So I said, oh, can you do one for me one day? She inspired me. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, well, I'm going to the Gold Coast Art School at the moment, so I've been looking on their Instagram and I've been inspired by one of the Sophie Chick artists who's yeah. been doing beautiful colours down at Lennox Head. Um, but I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's a funny name, but yeah, the Gold Coast Art School has been a great inspiration for art and many types of art. Beautiful. So. Okay. If you had to label creativity with a colour, what would it be? Yeah. All the colours put together. Rainbow. Red. Beautiful. Um, what would you miss most about the arts? I wouldn't know because I wouldn't be around. The joy it brings to people. Mm. And the, char the characters of the people. What's on your bedside tables right now? A little tiny handbag with Marilyn Monroe on the front that my niece gave me and inside it's got my massage ball. Mine is a book and it's navigating your way to startup success. Good. Mine is a cup of tea. Oh. <laughs> what chore do you most dislike doing? Chore? Mm. I dislike all chores and I'm the biggest procrastinator in the world. I learnt the word procrastinate when I was eight. That's how much of a procrastinator I am. Uh, so all chores, um, I only like the chores that I want to do. <laughs> Cleaning up the dishes. Oh, that's the worst one. Washing windows. Yeah. <laughs> In one word, what does art mean to you? Life. Love. 
everything. Oh, beautiful, <laughs> wonderful, well done. Thank you so much for Thank joining you, us. Karina. We have had, you guys have shed so much color and, and layers to your wonderful lives. A beautiful down-to-earth representation of humanity and a beautiful family. So thank you for joining and sharing. We've thank loved having you on the show. You. Thank you for having loved us. Being on the show. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you at our next episode.